You're listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, December 6, 2020 at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right into it, so if you have your Bibles, open those up with us uh, to Luke chapter 2 again. Brett already read part of this for us this morning, but open it up again to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 6 through 11. As you know, we're... Uh, we're continuing in this Christmas season here in, in, in week two of number of four. So this is week two of four of our Advent series. And Christmas, of course, is all about the birth of Jesus and what his birth should mean to all of us. All right, so Robert talked last week about the hope that we should sense and remember at Christmas time. And this week, I'm going to start here in Luke chapter two to remind us about the joy. Brett talked about this as well. But the great joy that belongs to us as believers in Christ, what an appropriate time for us to revisit that again at Christmas time during Advent here. So Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. I'll read that and then I'll pray. And while Mary and Joseph were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Again, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much once again, for the privilege of gathering together like this. I mean, even, even, though, even though we still have to, to gather with masks on our face and, and in fewer numbers than we're accustomed to before this year, uh, we, still, we still count this as a privilege. And we are still grateful for that privilege. Lord, so whether we're here in person this morning or whether we are, we're following over the live feed just asking that right now you would free us from any distraction. Free us from any, anything that would distract us from hearing what you truly want to say to us through the scriptures about this great joy that came at Christmas time. And, and Father, help us not to simply talk about this or hear about it, but to actually experience this great joy and, and to help others do the same. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right, now, what makes you happy? I can tell you're not going, you're not going to answer. All right, so, well, if you had to make a list, let's say you had to make a list of, say, five things that bring you joy or that make you happy, what, what would be on your list? In, in fact, what would be guaranteed to make your list of five? 
Well, I, I did this myself last night. I just, you know, let me, let me write down five things since I'm asking all of you to do it. But here's what I came up with. First, quality time with my wife and kids. Second, I wrote, revisiting other special memories. You know, so pictures, videos, usually of my wife and kids, right? But, but sometimes other people as well, all right? But, but revisiting memories. Third, I'm almost ashamed to admit this is on my list, but winning. <laughs> winning is on my list. I'm, I'm a competitive guy. I'm an old, just old school athlete. I mean, we, this is, winning was better than losing. Um, and sometimes I want to win too much. Yes, that's true. And it's not always good, but winning made my list. If I'm, this is an honest list, by the way. Not the list that I know I should write as a pastor, but this is, this is my list. Four, I put solitude. Now, solitude doesn't always mean peace and quiet for me. I'm okay if there's a little noise, like if I'm at the gym, as long as I am free from anyone else's demands and I can do whatever I want during that time and space, that's what I'm talking about, right? Solitude. And the last one that made my, my list, that made the cut last night, is completing everything on my to-do list in a given day or a given week. Rarely ever happens. Uh, this, is, this is if I ever get around to making such a list. But when I do, rare is the day or the week where I actually finish it all. But boy, when I do, what a great feeling. There's a measure of joy in that for me, right? There's a, there's a measure of happiness in that for me. And there's nothing wrong with finding a measure of joy and happiness in these kinds of things. But I, I've learned something about myself, and I think about human beings in general. We are very serious about our joy and our happiness. Now, you might be tempted to doubt me right now, but if you are doubting me, watch this. Think about it this way. Look no further than how irritated and upset you become when something or someone gets in the way of what makes you happy. Do I need to talk to your spouse? Your roommate? Yes. We are very serious about our joy and about our happiness. And I've discovered something else, even more important than that. I've discovered something about God he is very serious about our joy. Did you know that? God is very serious about our joy. Now, he doesn't always agree with us about the things that will best bring that joy into our life, but he is very serious about our joy. In fact, he commands us to have joy. Joy is not optional when it comes to the Christian life. If you take God seriously as he breathes out scripture in the word, joy is commanded by God. Listen to this. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Be joyful always. Be joyful always. Not just some of the time. Always. God takes our joy that seriously. Psalm 32, verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright. Again, God commands this, that you not only be right or, or that you not only be glad, but that you shout for joy at times. Don't try it now, 
but you, you get the idea. God takes our joy very seriously. Psalm 67, verse 4. He wants this for everybody in the world. He says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. God is very, very serious about our joy. And when God provides pastors for churches like ours, like the four men you just saw standing up here, who who are now elder candidates, when you see God assigning and providing pastors for churches, one of the primary things in the job description of those who serve as pastors and elders is to promote and seek the joy of God's people. It's not a small thing, again, for God. That's in our job description. Listen to how the Apostle Paul said it. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. We work with you for your joy. There is work involved. Joy does not just automatically come. Paul understands that as a pastor, there is work involved in helping to promote the joy of those entrusted to his care. We work with you for your joy. Paul says this again. This is in Philippians chapter 1, verse 26. Listen to how he says it here. Paul is actually in prison here, and he does not know whether he will die in prison or whether he will have the opportunity to come out and to continue to serve God and his people. And then as he thinks about it, he, he comes to the place in his heart where he says, oh, you know, it looks like it's not my time right now. God is going to allow me to get out of here, and I'm going to continue my work as the Apostle Paul on this earth. And, and Paul says in, in Philippians 1.26, being convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress. You expect a pastor to be working for the progress of God's people. He says, I will continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith. Think of all the other things the Apostle Paul could have inserted there to describe what he will be doing on behalf of the church. I am here and I will continue with you for your progress, your increasing maturity in the faith as a believer. I will continue with you for your progress and your joy in the faith. God takes our joy very seriously, more seriously than we do. And this, by the way, is why he takes sin so seriously. This is why God is absolutely determined to uproot all sin from our lives and from his world. God God is serious about uprooting sin the way that a gardener is serious about uprooting weeds. The gardener does not just violently uproot weeds, yanking them out of the ground or whatever else is done. He doesn't simply do that, or she doesn't simply do that because... They hate weeds, that's true, but but they do that because they love beauty. They do that because these weeds are hindering or eclipsing what should be growing in its place. The reason God is so serious about removing sin from our lives and from his world is because he loves beauty. He loves righteousness. He loves joy. He loves justice. The the good things that he expects to see growing out of us and out of his world are being eclipsed and hindered by sin. And that is why he will will not stop in his efforts to uproot sin completely from our lives. We may make compromises with certain things. God never will. 
He will, he will remove these things from our lives that we might be holy like his son, Jesus Christ. Precisely because he is serious about, yes, his glory, but also our joy. All right, so with the rest of our time, here's what I want to do. I want us to answer three questions. Now, we've begun to talk a little bit about the first one, but I want us to answer three questions. Number one, what is the nature and essence of true Christian joy? What is the nature or essence of true Christian joy? Number two, what are some of the primary ways that God brings this joy into our lives? And number three, why is it so critical for us to have this kind of joy when we face life's toughest moments? All right, let's begin with the first one of those. What is the nature or essence of true Christian joy? Now, true Christian joy is not based on any of the things necessarily that I mentioned earlier. It isn't so much about me winning anything. It's not the, it's not the joy that comes from winning, you know, a, a family card game or, or a soccer game or, or, or watching a bunch of strangers you don't really even know win a football game. It's not that. It's not about me being able to have solitude whenever I want it or, or having my favorite people around whenever I want that. True Christian joy is based on Jesus Christ. True Christian joy is the sort of joy that comes from knowing him that we we saw in in our passage in Luke. Let's look at that again in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. The angel says there, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy for or because of this child that was just born in Bethlehem. The joy that I'm talking about, the angel says, is joy that comes because Christ has been born. Joy, joy, the song says, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. This is the true Christian joy we're talking about. It's not, not so much about all those other things that bring us a measure of joy or happiness, but joy that is directly derived from Jesus Christ coming into the world and into your life. This is the joy that we're talking about. That's the nature of it. True Christian joy. Now listen to how the Apostle Peter spoke about it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. He says there, Though you have not seen him, speaking of Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, so Peter connects there again the inexpressible joy that we feel to this person, Jesus Christ. Though you haven't seen him, you love him. Even though you don't see him right now, you believe in him. And you're filled with inexpressible joy. So I have this joy it, it, I, I'm so happy. I have so much joy. I can't even, I can't even express it. I, I, mean, I, I don't even know what to say. Have you ever said something like that? You're, you're just blown away with gratitude or joy. And you say, I don't even know what to say. That's inexpressible joy. It goes back to what the angel announces. Great joy for or because Christ has been born. And, and the joy, as you go back to the angel, is connected to who Jesus is for us as he is introduced. 
Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the... Everybody? Lord. Jesus is both Savior and Lord. And the joy that we're talking about here that comes through Christmas time, true Christian joy, is found by knowing Jesus in His capacity as Savior as He rescues us and also knowing Him as Lord. Surrendering to his rule over us. Freely and voluntarily surrendering to his rightful rule over us. Knowing him as both Savior and Lord. Now this is very difficult, especially I think for Americans. This true Christian joy. Admitting that we need to be rescued and that we're not self-sufficient that we have needs we cannot meet with our own resources. Very difficult for us. But that, spiritually speaking, is exactly where all of us are. We, like the rest of all mankind, like the rest of human, humankind, are by nature objects of wrath. Dead in sin, Ephesians 2 says. Desperately in need of the perfect one, Jesus Christ, to come and to rescue us from the wrath and the condemnation our sins deserve. No one is an exception to that, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.9, all alike are under sin. And we need to be rescued. We cannot get ourselves out of that pit. We need to be rescued by the only Savior appointed for us, and that is Jesus Christ. Knowing him as Savior is the key to true Christian joy, the beginning of it. And then, this is very difficult for Americans, even more difficult perhaps, giving up the delusion of being completely autonomous and self-ruled and surrendering to the rightful rule and authority of Jesus Christ. As Americans, we, we like to think nobody can ever tell us what to do. I think this year has really brought that to the forefront and to a head. I'm the worst of the bunch. I mean, if you think you're worse than me, I probably, we should talk later. We should talk later. I am probably the worst one in here. I admit to you, I hate these masks. I hate them. I want nothing to do with them. I personally don't think I need one. Not because I don't think I'm vulnerable to a virus. I've always been vulnerable to viruses. I would just, I prefer the risks that come with freedom to the risks that come from giving it up. Right? That's where I am. I don't know where you are, but anyway, that's a side, that's a side conversation. But this is very difficult for me and maybe for some of you. I think sometimes our Americanism gets to the point where we, we might even make the mistake of thinking that when we stand before the one and only Lord of the universe, we might still have the right to self-rule. No. Nobody has that right in front of Jesus Christ. Now, governors, presidents, and all that, they come and go, but Jesus Christ is appointed once and for all. None of us has the right to self-rule before him. Again, the, the nature of Christian joy, true Christian joy, is joy that is found precisely because of Christ 
and relating to him as he is presented to us, as Savior and Lord, being rescued by him and surrendering to his rule in our lives. It begins there. That is the nature and the essence of this joy. And the good news is this joy is not prevented simply because we do not have favorable circumstances. This is joy you can have in in great measure even in a year like 2020. Now most of us have gone through something we don't like this year. Some of us have been through outright and legitimate tragedy. But everybody has had something they don't like this year. But this joy I'm talking about can still fill your heart despite all manner of trials. And Peter says it this way in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 6. Even right, right before that other thing that I mentioned from Peter. Here's what Peter says there. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. He says, in this, speaking of that salvation, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary... You have, had, you have had to be grieved by various trials. You still rejoice, even though at the present moment you're grieved by various trials. So trials do not prevent the joy that I'm talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Not even extreme poverty prevents this joy. You usually wouldn't put poverty and joy side by side, but watch what God does here in the Bible. He says, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, he's speaking to people in Corinth who are in modern-day Greece. Macedonia was the region where you had the Philippian church and the Thessalonians. That's where Macedonia was. And he says, I want you to know the grace of God given among those churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on, your, on their part. Their extreme poverty was still able to overflow in acts of generosity. Right? So you can be materially poor and still very generous. And still very joyful. It's not prohibited by the fact that you are poor in an economic sense, or that you are going through severe trials. And I think that's important to point out. I I do have one concern as a pastor. I think sometimes when we rightly point out that true Christian joy is much more than the stuff on your list of five things that make you happy, I'm afraid that sometimes we speak about it in a way that makes it sound like it's less than that. Or that it doesn't matter whether or not we ever experience it as long as we talk about it and have a knowledge of what it's supposed to be. I'm always a little bit leery of that sort of Christianity that is able to acknowledge great realities in an academic sense but never really be too concerned about experiencing them. May God help us so that we don't simply talk about and hear about joy this morning without being concerned that we experience it and that we help others to do the same. So the nature of true Christian joy is that it is based entirely or at least first and foremost on knowing Christ as Savior and Lord and it is not prohibited in any way by trials or even extreme poverty. That's the nature of it. Now, now, second question, 
what are some of the primary ways that God brings this joy into our lives? Number one, I'm going to give you three of these. First one, the Word of God. The Word of God and, and hearing His Word with faith. Listen to how God says this here in John chapter 15, verse 11. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus, at the moment He's saying this, remember, is looking ahead to, to this very moment. He's right here on, on the cusp of this moment where He will take up a cross be physically tortured beyond recognition and actually endure the wrath of God that we, that we should have had fall on us. He is about to go through all of that and it is at that precise moment that he says this. John 15 verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, which I still have right now, even though I'm looking at the cross, even though that is right around the corner, I am still filled with this joy and I am speaking to you right now that this joy that I still have would be in you and that your joy would be full. I am speaking to you, Jesus says, so that you will have joy. He speaks. John chapter 17, verse 13, as Jesus prays to his heavenly Father for us, he says this, Father, now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Luke chapter 2, verse 10, we heard the angel a number of times near here already. For behold, I bring you Good news of great joy. Good news. Words. A declaration of great joy. I still think of Linus every time I hear this passage. I, I should have brought a blanket this morning. I can tell you what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Good news of great joy. News, words, declaration of this joy. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Robert Greene talked about this last week. Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. How? In believing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. It is in believing what we have heard that the joy is conveyed. I speak these things to you, Jesus said, that you may have joy. These things I speak that they may have joy. I bring you good news of great joy. May God fill you with joy in believing what you've heard. The Word of God. Words that produce the joy God desires to put into us. And folks, listen, as, as a way of applying this, this is why we must go back to our Bibles. We must go back to our Bibles. And I, I have this conversation quite a bit with many people. I think especially in this digital age, I, I have so many conversations with people who say, I'm just not a reader. Okay, I get that. But, but if we shift gears for a moment and we look away from you and look to God, 
God is a God who has inspired Scripture, who has inspired words. And that's the same God who made you. And if, by God's sovereignty, you have the ability to read what He has inspired for His glory and your joy, then then you have the ability to receive the joy that God intends for you to receive through reading His written word. You have that ability. Despite what you may say about yourself, God is able to convey the joy He intends for you through His written word as you read it. And you, you not only can derive that joy that God intends for you through His word, you must, you must avail yourself of that particular ordained means for your joy. You must. Anything God has given us, think about how many people in the world cannot read. Why would you and I squander the ability that God has given us to know Him that way and to enjoy Him that way? All Scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you honestly believe that that truth of Scripture does not apply to you? We need to pick up our Bibles. All of us. It is one of the means by which God puts his joy into our lives. The second, second thing I'll give you, how does God tend to bring this joy into our lives? Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship. Second Timothy. Let's look at Second Timothy here, chapter 1, verse 4. Paul says to Timothy there, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. See, one of the ways God puts joy into our hearts, this Christian joy, is by us seeing each other. By us not distancing ourselves from each other in ways that become spiritually dangerous. Second John verse 12. The Apostle John says it this way. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. And you know... <laughs> I think if he were writing it today, of course this is not in there, but I think he might even say, I'd rather not use Zoom. Now I, I, know, I know, and I'm grateful for this, that that enables us to be able to see each other's faces. That's no small thing. That's a great thing. I'm very appreciative of that, especially in a time like this where, where it, is, it is very wise to exercise caution, especially for certain people who might be um, particularly vulnerable. Right? So I'm very, very grateful for that. But I can imagine the Apostle John saying, I have much to say to you. I'd rather not use Zoom. I'd rather not use paper and ink. He says here, this actually is in the Bible now. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. There is something about Christian fellowship and coming together face to face that leads to the sort of joy God is after. 
And I think we've zoomed enough to know that Zoom is not an adequate replacement for this. Again, whatever we practically have to do in the next weeks, months, whatever the case is, we're going to continue to do the best that we can. But, but I hope we do not forget the, the fact that Zoom and any other technology will never be an adequate replacement for what you are doing right here. Vital that we keep that in view. All right, so again, by all means, we need to continue to be cautious and wise regarding our physical health and the physical health of others. But what I am saying is that I believe we need to be equally wise regarding our spiritual health. And so may God give us the wisdom to be able to do both of those things at the same time. That's difficult, yes, but it's necessary. All right, and that's what we're trying to do, certainly as pastors. We hope that's what you're trying to do as well. All right, the third thing that God usually uses as a means for our joy is prayer. So the Word of God, Christian fellowship, and prayer. John 16, verse 24. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus connects our joy with the act of prayer. And in particular, as he answers prayer. You know that joy of having a prayer answered, especially if it's answered in the way that you asked it to be answered. That there's a, a sense of joy that comes there. And, and it's not just in our prayers for ourselves or, or that kind of a thing, but also in our prayers for others. God uses our prayers for others to bring joy into their life. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. I'll read portions of that here. The Apostle Paul says there, Ever since the day we heard of your faith, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will, being strengthened with all power for all endurance and patience with joy. So, so Paul is praying for other believers and saying, look, I'm praying. When I go to God in prayer, I'm asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will so that the result would be that for this Christian life, you are strengthened unto all endurance and patience with joy. Not a joyless endurance and patience. I'm just going to get through this life. No, endurance and patience with joy. God uses our prayers for other people to effect that kind of joy in their lives. And so we need to go back to our, our Bibles. We need to gather like this. And we need to be people of prayer. And if you're aware of this, if you've ever been in the church for any amount of time, you understand that I just mentioned to you what we would typically describe as the spiritual disciplines. Many of them. The basics of the Christian life. The Word of God, fellowship, prayer, nothing sensational or fancy. As some of you know, I, I played soccer in college and beyond that at the professional level. And I, from time to time, we would have people come up to us and say, well, what do you do? What do professional soccer players do at their practice? Expecting to hear some sensational thing. We pass the ball. We control the ball. We move to open space when we don't have the ball, which, by the way, if you're an athlete or soccer player, is 98% of the game at least. 99 for most of us. 
We do the same things that you do on your 12-year-old soccer team, but we focus on mastering the basics. You, you see, this is what I learned about professional athletes. Professional athletes made the difficult things look simple. They, they, didn't, they, didn't, master, they didn't try to always do something sensational. They just got really good at doing the ordinary things, the basics. They made fewer mistakes on the basics. A few special players were really good on the sensational stuff. I was never one of those, not even close. We just, we just mastered the basics. Amateurs always tried to make the routine things look difficult. They were always trying to do something sensational. Listen, it is a mark of spiritual maturity to focus primarily on consistency when it comes to the basic spiritual disciplines and seeking your joy and your growth primarily through those means. It is actually a mark of spiritual immaturity to constantly be seeking the sensational to the neglect of the basics. All right, so may God help us with that. Right? It, the, the sensational, it, it's, again, it's the amateur that seeks that. Now, those things are wonderful when they come, but, but, but pursuing those things to the neglect of the typical means of our joy and growth is, is not a mark of maturity at all. All right, so the Word of God, Christian fellowship, and prayer. These are the typical ways that God tends to bring this joy into our lives. And then last question as we wrap up. Last question as we wrap up. Why is it so critical for us to have this kind of joy when we face life's most difficult moments? I'll tell you why. But to do it, I'll, I'll, I'll point you to Jesus here. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. I want you to see the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What, 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 at least in this part of the Bible, what's being emphasized? What got Jesus through the cross? What did he see on the other side of this most horrible suffering? What, what enabled him and, and led him to endure the cross? It was for the joy set before him on the other side of it. Consider Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Not only is it possible for you and for me to have this kind of joy in, in the midst of life's most difficult moments, it is actually, it's actually critical for us to have it. It is one of the primary things that will enable us to endure when these moments come. It's the joy on the other side. After all, how does Jesus describe the Christian life? Is it not a taking up of the cross? 
Is it not a marathon? Is it not an endurance race? Is this a sprint? No, this is a long-distance, marathon-like endurance race. It goes across decades. How will you endure a life of carrying your cross and following Jesus? It will be, in part, in large part, because of the joy on the other side of it. Jesus endured for us through the very wrath of God being poured out upon him. Jesus endured the torment of the cross. And you and I will get through some of life's most difficult moments because of the joy set before us as well. And, and, and when we say that Jesus had a picture of joy in front of him, a reality of a joy set before him on the other side of the cross, I want you to get this. Really wrapping up now, I want you to get this. Jesus already had the fullness of joy that Psalm 1611 speaks about. In your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. He already had that with the Father before Christmas ever happened. He had that before he came to this earth and was born. He had that before he lived that sinless and, per and perfect life on our behalf. He had that before the incarnation. He had all of that before. He left that. The joy that enables Jesus to endure the cross includes our joy. Our joy of being able now to follow Jesus into the presence of the God for all eternity so that we can share the joy that he already had before he came. Your joy is included in the joy that Jesus saw that enabled him to endure that cross. He did all of that in part Yes, for God's glory. That's first and foremost. But also for your joy and mine. Now, let me, let me ask us something very important. Especially, especially if you're here and you would say, I, I know I'm not a Christian. Or, or if you have doubts about whether or not you have ever rightly related to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Let me ask you a very important question. Why wouldn't you and I freely give ourselves to this Jesus seeing how he freely gave himself for us. And, and if, you, if you've never brought your sins to Jesus for forgiveness, if you've never acknowledged your need for him and surrendered your life to him as your ultimate authority, if you've never done that, when are you going to do that? Let me ask you that again. When are you actually going to get around to doing that? And what would stop you from doing it today? What better opportunity is there than right now when you're actually hearing these things and considering them? In the Bible, today is the day of salvation. It's never tomorrow. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the moment of clarity. When are you going to give your life to Jesus Christ? And why not now? Why not now? True Christian joy can be yours today and forevermore. All it requires is you saying yes to Jesus.
Yes, Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. Yes, I acknowledge my need for forgiveness from you. Yes, I surrender all that I understand about myself to all I understand about you. I surrender to you. I recognize and acknowledge you as the ultimate authority in my life. And you don't have to get all the words right. He sees your heart and he knows exactly how to respond. He knows exactly how to save you. And he stands ready and willing to receive you if you will receive him on his terms. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much that we have the opportunity to experience the joy that you had with your Father, or Jesus, that you had with your Father in heaven before you came here. And Lord, we thank you so much that you invite us. You don't simply indict us for our sin, but you, you take those sins unto yourself. You, you, you slay them on the cross, and now you invite us to receive full forgiveness from you and a share in the eternal life, the eternal life that belongs to all those who trust in you. If there's anyone who walked in here this morning, today, Jesus, not knowing you in this way, would you change that right now? Remove any hindrance, remove any fear, remove any pride, remove any shame, Remove, remove uh, that voice of the enemy. Turn the volume down on what he wants to do here and we pray that only your voice would resound. And Lord, for, for those of us who have had the privilege of being called by your name and knowing already this grace and this joy, I pray that you would use this today as a reminder for us to return to your word, to return to Christian fellowship, to return to prayer. And to remember that unto us this day is proclaimed a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We thank you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, December 6, 2020 at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church and to hear other sermons like this, visit us online at redemptionhill.com.